Week on the Speaker Politics podcast, we'll be discussing the news from the party conference season, the heightening tensions after attacks on two of Saudi Arabia's oil facilities, plus we'll discuss the latest developments on Brexit. I'm Joshua Dykes and this is The Speaker. The Speaker, inspiring the next generation in politics. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Speaker Politics Podcast. In just 30 minutes, we'll be going through the top political news stories from the UK and across the globe over the last seven days. Plus, we'll look ahead at what UK politics could have in store next for us, and in particular, looking at the political parties' conference season. If you're listening to this podcast on our website, a reminder that you can now listen to us on your favourite podcast app. We're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts and on many other apps. Just search Speaker Politics Podcast. We now start with looking at this week's trending topics in politics. On Monday, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson met with the European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker in what was to be the first official face-to-face meeting between the two men since Mr Johnson became Prime Minister back in July. Downing Street described the talks as constructive, however a statement from the European Commission following the talks said that no workable solution has yet been offered on the backstop issue. After the working lunch, Mr Johnson went to meet Javier Bettel, the Prime Minister of Luxembourg. His arrival was met with loud protests taking place around 30 yards away from the location of a planned press conference. Protesters were reported to be shouting, tell the truth, stop the coup, through a loudspeaker. Uh, The protests were shared widely on social media, but things got worse for Mr Johnson after his quest to hold an indoor press conference away from these protests was denied. On Tuesday, the PM of Luxembourg was pictured on most front pages in the UK and on many in Europe, pointing to an empty lectern which was not removed when Mr Johnson pulled out of the press conference. The events came just days after the Prime Minister described Britain and to some extent himself as being like the Incredible Hulk, a description has attracted numerous memes on social media. On Wednesday, Boris Johnson was heckled as he visited a hospital in East London. The father of a sixth child confronted the Prime Minister, saying, There are not enough doctors, there are not enough nurses. The NHS is being destroyed, and now you come here for a press opportunity. The Prime Minister responded by saying, Well, actually, there is no press here. The videos of the confrontation recorded by the press standing just metres away have now been viewed on social media millions of times. Also this week, the Supreme Court has been trending on social media as the UK's highest court hears an appeal trying to show the suspension of Parliament as unlawful. The court heard the case for three days from Tuesday to Thursday after Scotland's highest civil court ruled the suspension as unlawful. And in other news, a photo on social media showed the French President Emmanuel Macron was gifted a jersey by the Finnish Prime Minister Antti Reiner on Wednesday. The surprise gift bore the name of Finnish and Norwich City star striker Timu Pukki, who became the Premier League's Player of the Month for August. He's scored six goals already this season, including in the Canaries' surprising and momentous win against the champions Manchester City last weekend. For the latest trending political news throughout the week, follow us on social media. It's at Speaker Politics. Now for our top story of the week, and we're going to be looking at the political party conference season. 
The Labour Party conference is taking place in Brighton from Saturday the 21st through to Wednesday the 25th of September. The Lib Dems Autumn Conference has already taken place and that is finishing on Saturday. We can now speak to Tom Brake, who is the Lib Dems Brexit spokesperson and the Member of Parliament for Carshalton and Wallington in London. Tom, for our listeners, just run us through what you think the major points are to take from the conference. Well, the major points to take from the Lib Dem conference are, first of all, that the party is in very good heart. It's very clear that we have uh, now selected a a large number of uh, very enthusiastic candidates who are looking forward to fighting a general election. And it's also very clear that the uh, significant sort of policy departure that, uh, that we announced at conference was not only welcomed by a clear majority of delegates, but has also started to pay off uh, in terms of the opinion polls, which now place a second. And that uh, major policy departure was that as a party, if uh, there is a general election in which a majority of MPs in the House of Commons are elected as Liberal Democrats, in other words, more than 325 MPs, uh, then as a party, we would simply revoke Article 50. In other words, stop Brexit there and then. Don't you think this suggestion to revoke Article 50 might anger or perhaps deter some potential voters? Well, clearly it's not going to please everyone, uh, but in the same way that a people's vote uh, wouldn't please everyone, and in the same way, for instance, that if Boris Johnson pursues a no-deal uh, Brexit, that's likely to, fuse, uh, to, to please very few people, uh, if indeed anyone at all. One of your own MPs, Norman Lamb, is stepping down at the next election, but he has said that this week that the party is, quote, playing with fire over its decision to back a policy to cancel Brexit. Uh, what do you have to say about that? Well, I, I don't agree with him. Uh, clearly, if, uh, as I said, if a majority of MPs who are elected in the next House of Commons are Liberal Democrats, then that would be a a very clear indication, probably you could not find any clearer indication of the fact that the country's views on Brexit have changed. Given that we have made it very clear from our conference and will do so uh, during any general election campaign and until the end of that general election campaign, that a vote for the Liberal Democrats is a vote to stop Brexit, I think we would be in a position to then act on that. And it would be strange if having made our position as clear as that, we didn't then do so. Your party leader, Jo Swinson, has said this week that she wants the Lib Dems to win 300 seats in the next election. At the moment, you have 18 MPs. Do you really think that you could achieve enough votes to win 300 seats? Well, as I said a few moments ago, in the opinion polls, we are now second to the Labour Party. Uh, this is going to be a very interesting contest, potentially, if, if four political parties are, are in play. Uh, Liberal Democrats, Labour, Conservative and Brexit. Uh, the outcome of that election is highly unpredictable, uh, but with the strong ratings that we've got currently, the fact that really people will have a very clear choice, which is either vote for a party like the Liberal Democrats, which knows where it stands on Brexit, or vote for the Brexit party, which knows where it stands. But in relation to the other two parties, the Labour Party uh, seem to want to uh, negotiate a Brexit, a Labour Brexit, a so-called jobs Brexit, which I don't think I, there's nothing of the sort, uh, and then haven't yet made up their mind whether during a referendum campaign they would support the, own, the, the deal they had negotiated. So that's hardly a clear position. And the Conservative Party, if we have not left 
the European Union by the time there is a general election and therefore Brexit is an issue. It's not clear to me, and I suspect it's not clear to anyone in the Conservative Party, whether they will run on a ticket that says vote Conservative and you'll get no deal, or whether they'll run on a ticket that says vote Conservative and we will try to negotiate some kind of deal. So if people want clarity, uh, certainly they will get that from the Liberal Democrats in a general election. Do you have any faith that Boris Johnson will be able to negotiate a deal with Brussels before October 31st? I'm afraid I don't believe Boris Johnson is seeking to negotiate a deal. Yes, clearly, uh, there are a lot of air miles being clocked up at the moment by various government ministers, but air miles don't actually amount to a, a, a policy position around which negotiations can take place. I mean, even today, the government are talking about the fact that they've issued some non-papers for the purposes of discussions. Well, uh, and people will be confused as to what that means, but I guess what it means is those papers are aspirational in terms of the content. They're not actually something the European Union and the UK can sit down and negotiate over because there's not sufficient uh, detail in them to do that. So I'm afraid I don't believe Boris Johnson is seeking to secure a deal. I think what he's trying to do is create an image which says that he is and uh, if we then crash out without a deal, which I think uh, is uh, what he's trying to achieve, albeit hopefully Parliament have found the legal means of blocking him, if we crash out without a deal, he's trying to create a narrative that says uh, everyone but me is responsible for crashing us out of the European Union without a deal, with all the risks associated with that, which the government have helpfully set out in the Operation Yellowhammer documents, which means medicines, food and fuel shortages and risks on the Northern Ireland island border. Are you concerned that the government is still saying we'll be leaving on October 31st, despite the new legislation trying to make the Prime Minister request an extension? Well, yes, I am worried. And I'm worried that the Prime Minister and senior ministers don't seem yet to be certain whether they're going to observe the law. Uh, That is an act. The Ben Burt Act has been passed by the Commons and the Lords. It is the law. Uh, so, you know, any prime minister who suggests that he is above the law, uh, frankly, uh, is, uh, I would say, is unfit for government uh, and should, uh, if he's not happy uh, with that law and he's not intending uh, actually implementing it, then I guess he's got no choice but to resign and hand over to someone who will observe the law, which is, after all, what I think most people in the United Kingdom would expect our Prime Minister to do. A case has been going through the Supreme Court this week where MPs have been trying to show the prorogation of Parliament as unlawful. If the government loses that case and the suspension is ruled unlawful, should the Prime Minister resign then? Well, he he has little choice at least to bring Parliament back, and I understand he's not even clear whether he would do that. I think he would be in a in a difficult position uh, because uh, we know, I think it's clear what his motives were. His motives were shut down Parliament for five weeks because I don't want the inconvenience of members of Parliament trying to scrutinise me on things like no deal preparations or indeed the impact of any deal uh, or, for instance, what the, the reasons why he chose to prorogue Parliament. But I think we know why. It's because he doesn't want that scrutiny. And, I mean, a good demonstration of this and uh, a counter to his claim that this was all about uh, making space time for a Queen's speech is that I got a reply from the House Commons Library on the 3rd of September. I had asked them what evidence, and this is something I've done in advance of previous Queen's speeches, please can you provide me with a list of the bills that the government have flagged up as being things they'd like to see 
in the Queen's speech. In past years, the House Commons Library have been able to provide me with a list of bills that the government have flagged up as being flagship bills they want in a Queen's speech. On this occasion, on the 3rd of September, when the House Commons Library replied, uh, what they said was, well, I'm sorry, we can't actually give you a list because we haven't detected anything at all that the government have said they want in a Queen's speech. All we've had are some vague aspirations from the uh, from the Prime Minister, uh, but those don't actually amount to legislative proposals. So the idea that Boris Johnson has shut down Parliament so that he can make way for a Queen's speech packed full of uh, exciting bills, well, that doesn't seem to be the view of the House Commons Library, who've been able to detect so far not a single bill that the government wants included in a Queen's speech. And will you be supporting an early general election next time the government calls for one? No, we made it very clear that the thing that needs to be resolved first before a general election is Brexit. And that's why we will still push for a people's vote, uh, try to secure an outcome which would either be people end up voting perhaps for a deal the Prime Minister manages to secure or, or Theresa May's deal, if that is, is resurrected or comes back from the dead, so to speak, uh, or they can vote to remain in the European Union. If we have a general election now then all that is likely to happen is that the you know the, the cards will be thrown up in the air. They'll fall down perhaps in just as disorganised way as they were before. There won't be a majority in Parliament for anything. And we simply continue to stumble along uh, with the Brexit chaos that we, we've experienced in the last three years. So that's why we think a people's vote uh, and really come to a conclusion, whatever it might be, either to back the deal or to remain, and then, by all means, let's have a general election. And then the country can start and politicians can start to concentrate on the things which we really do need to address, the issues that people voted leave for in parts of the country, so a lack of housing, a lack of investment in in transport in those areas, skills, the skills agenda, productivity, and and deal with the things that are are crippling the United Kingdom at present, uh, rather than diverting literally billions of pounds in preparing for something that nobody says they actually want. Uh, In other words, no deal. And finishing on a different note, another important issue that millions of people and especially young people took part in in a global climate strike across the world on Friday. Many students have been inspired by the Swedish teenage climate activist Greta Thunberg to lead over 200 events that took place in the UK and thousands more worldwide, from a climate festival and concert in Istanbul to a beach dance in South Africa. Do you support their actions and what would you like to be seen done on the issue of climate change? Well, I support action and certainly we need to see action taken from an international to a national to a local level and individual level. There's no doubt about it. The reason I got involved in politics in the early 1980s was partly as a result of environmental concerns that I had now. Uh, Those environmental concerns, if anything, are even more pronounced because of the, the threat, the real threat of climate change. I'm afraid successive governments haven't taken the the firm action that's needed. Uh, We did see, for instance, I'm pleased to say in the coalition, almost a trebling or quadrupling of the amount of renewable energy or electricity generated from renewable sources. So that was a start. uh, But we need to do a lot more. And uh, I'd like to see, for instance, the target of uh, uh, zero carbon, uh, the UK achieving that by 2045 rather than the 2050 a target that the government have set. So we need concerted action across the board at all levels. This is the single biggest global issue that, that we are facing, which has will have untold consequences if we don't deal with it properly. And I'm afraid uh, so far we're not doing that. Thank you for speaking to us, Tom. Thank you. 
Well, this weekend, the Labour Party conference is taking place in Brighton, and it comes after the party leader, Jeremy Corbyn, has revealed some more details about his position on Brexit. The Labour leader has pledged to hold another referendum on the issue if his party wins power in an early general election. However, the Labour leader has said his party's priority is to block an ordeal Brexit on October 31st. On Wednesday, Finnish Prime Minister Antti Reiner and French President Emmanuel Macron met to discuss Brexit. Following the meeting, Mr Reiner said, We both agreed that it is now time for Boris Johnson to produce his own proposals in writing, if they exist. If no proposals are received by the end of September, then it's over. A Downing Street source said, We will continue negotiating and put forward proposals at the appropriate time. Follow us on social media, that's at Speaker Politics, for the latest updates on Brexit and news from the Labour Party conference over the coming days. In other news now, and starting in the US, where President Donald Trump has selected Robert O'Brien as his new national security adviser. O'Brien will be Trump's fourth NSA in less than four years, and he is set to replace John Bolton in the position. O'Brien's previous role was to lead hostage negotiations at the State Department, working closely with the families of US hostages. Having trained as a lawyer, O'Brien went on to work for the United Nations Security Council in Geneva, later returning to the US to work in both the Bush and Obama administrations. His career is largely focused on the US foreign policy, spending time to promote the rule of law in Afghanistan and as a representative to the United Nations General Assembly. In one of the more recent high-profile cases, O'Brien was involved in the release of US musician ASAP Rocky from his detention in Sweden in August. Trump announced the appointment on Twitter and said, I have worked long and hard with Robert, he will do a great job. An environment news, Monday marked World Ozone Day with the theme for this year being 32 years and healing. The theme celebrates the 32 years of the international cooperation to protect the ozone layer under the Montreal Protocol. The event was established by the United Nations General Assembly to mark the day in 1987 that the Montreal Protocol was signed. The protocol is agreement to protect the stratospheric ozone layer by phasing out the production and consumption of ozone-depleting substances. To learn more about the protocol and the ozone layer, please check out the article on our website. On Tuesday, voters took to the polls to vote in the second Israeli general election in six months. The election seems to have ended in deadlock, with Netanyahu and Gantz now competing over the leadership after neither won enough votes to build a coalition with a majority. This is according to local reports. The future of travel company Thomas Cook has been uncertain this week after the 178-year-old travel agent issued a statement confirming it needed to find £200 million to plug a financial hole. The Civil Aviation Authority, or CAA, and the UK Government's Department for Transport are understood to be in close communication with Thomas Cook. If the company collapsed, the UK's Civil Aviation Authority would be forced to bring home 150,000 Britons currently thought to be overseas as part of holiday packages with the Thomas Cook Group. The operation would be significantly larger than when Monarch Airlines collapsed in 2017. At the time of recording, Thomas Cook has been advising customers on Twitter that their flights and holidays are currently operating as normal. 
Also in other news, former UK Prime Minister David Cameron has released his memoirs for the record. Cameron has said that he thinks about the referendum result every single day and worries desperately about what could happen next in the current stream of events. You can read more about this story and all of the week's top political news stories at speakerpolitics.co.uk. For our interview of the week, we now turn to an important news story which hasn't had perhaps so much attention this week due to the events here in the UK. Last Saturday, drones and missiles attacked two oil facilities in Saudi Arabia. The attack caused disruption to about 5% of global oil production, which has pushed the cost of oil up by a significant degree. Prices have since stabilised to some degree as Saudi Arabia said they were able to restart oil production. We're now joined by our US correspondent, Sam Hout. Sam, just to bring us up to speed with what has been happening. Yeah, so um, recently on uh, Saturday, uh, there was an attack on a Saudi Arabian oil uh, facility. Um, and in um, Ad... Bad at pronouncing these, but the Kuras uh, oil fields and the Ad... Adquay oil fields, um, and uh, uh, Saudi Arabia believes that Iran is responsible. Uh, they cause um, massive damage to the oil facilities, shutting down oil production there for several days, and cause lots of uh, damage to the um, oil production across the world. But that stabilized after a couple days. But after the attacks. Um, U.S. Uh, blamed Iran for sending um, missiles, uh, 25 um, missiles in total, seven uh, cruise missiles, and uh, 18 uh, UAVs. Um, they blamed uh, Iran for the attacks. Saudi Arabia blame, has since blamed Iran for the attacks. Um, Iran obviously denies having uh, done the attacks. The um, Kuath rebels in Yemen have um, claimed responsibility uh, for the attacks, which Saudi Arabia and the U.S. have said isn't true because, according to them, they believe that the direction that the missiles came from was north of the oil fields, which points in the direction of Iran, rather than the uh, Yemen uh, Houthi rebels, which are to the south. Um, and so they believe that based on satellite images and the evidence they have collected, uh, that it is um, Iran's fault. Um, it's still unclear exactly if Iran is responsible. They haven't provided very the most concrete evidence that Iran is actually responsible. And, you know, in the past couple months, there has been a lot of rising tension between U.S. and Iran as far as getting closer and closer to get going to war with one another um, after each other pr- provocates the other with a bunch of different um, <sighs> attacks on not direct attacks, but provoking one another with shooting down drones or um, capturing oil uh, tankers, things like that. And so it's unclear exactly if they will, if this is what's going to cause the US and Iran 
or Iran, Saudi Arabia, or some combination to go to war with one another. Um, they're uh, what has President Trump said about this incident and the tensions? Uh, Trump has said that he is trying to bring peace and not have war, but I've also said that you know they'll protect the U.S. oil interests in Saudi Arabia, and Iran has said that they are going to see it as an all-out war if, obviously, the U.S. retaliates for um, them possibly having attacked uh, Saudi Arabia oil. So it's unclear where things are going next, but it certainly doesn't help things whoever had attacked uh, the oil fields, if it was Iran or if it was um, Houthi rebels uh, in Yemen who are possibly backed by Iran. Um, But yeah, so that's the general uh, summary of the incident. And tensions have been escalating between the US and Iran even before this incident. Why has this been? There's a lot of background uh, to the issue that gives more context. Like, you know, it all going back to the Iran nuclear deal that Trump pulled out of uh, last year and how that since then tensions have been escalating because of the sanctions against Iran, and obviously Iran doesn't want to have sanctions replaced on them by the U.S., and so they've been trying to get the U.S. to come back to remove sanctions, Um, but it's unclear if anything like that will happen, and the recent tensions with this and a couple months ago, the, the oil tanker was attacked in the Strait of Hamas, and Iran was blamed for that, and the U.S. and Iran both shot down drones in that region and blamed the other for it. So there have been a lot of tension-increasing actions that have been taken. So yeah, I think that's general summary of the events that are going on. And looking to the week ahead, we could see tensions continue to escalate, particularly between the US and Iran following that incident. We'll have more next week here on the Speaker Politics podcast. Elsewhere in the week ahead and the Labour Party conference is underway in Brighton. The conference is set to continue through until Wednesday and according to the Labour Party website the annual conference is one of the largest political gatherings in Europe with 2018's conference drawing in over 13,000 attendees. Annual conference is a voting conference attended by delegates from constituencies, uh, trade unions and socialist societies voting on policies put forward at the national policy forums, as well as a number of motions put forward by constituencies. Many speeches are expected to take place during the conference, including one near the end of the conference by Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn. A judgment is expected to be handed down this week from the UK Supreme Court as it spent three days on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday this week hearing a case where MPs, amongst others, were trying to show the prorogation of Parliament as unlawful. If the government wins the case that the suspension was unlawful, it will likely continue up until October 14th. However, if the government loses the case, the court could ask for Parliament to be recalled or return to work as normal as soon as possible. 
The United Nations Climate Action Summit is taking place in New York on Monday after millions of people took part in what has been described as a global climate strike on Friday. This week, Greta Thunberg told politicians in the United States, I want you to unite behind the science, and then I want you to take action. Meanwhile, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has called on all leaders to go to New York on the 23rd of September with concrete, realistic plans to enhance their nationally determined contributions by 2020, in line with reducing greenhouse gases emissions by 45% over the next decade, and to net zero emissions by 2050. There are two elections taking place this week, first in Afghanistan on the Saturday the 28th of September where voters are due to elect a new president. The election has already been delayed twice with it having originally been due to take place in April. The president of Afghanistan is elected using the two-round system. This means that if no candidate receives a majority of the vote in the first round, a second round will be held featuring the top two candidates. Also in elections, the 2019 Austrian legislative election will be held on the Sunday the 29th of September and will see voters elect the 27th National Council. This is a snap election and was called following the collapse of the ruling OVP-FPO coalition and the announcement of Vice-Chancellor Heinz-Christian Strack's resignation in May this year. And that's pretty much it for all of this week's Speaker Politics podcast. Our thanks to our guests and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share on social media, tagging us at Speaker Politics. And don't forget to check out our website for the latest top political news stories throughout the week at speakerpolitics.co.uk. The Speaker, inspiring the next generation in politics.